Welcome to Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry. I'm your podcast host, Jules Taylor, coming to you from Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. The call to community ministry and chaplaincy is growing. Vocational discernment should always include gathering information. To that end, I've recorded a series on military chaplaincy. Earlier this year, I interviewed Unitarian Universalist ministers who serve as chaplains in each of the military branches and their components. Military chaplaincy is not a monolith. Each branch has its own rhythm, its own personality. In addition, there are even different ways to serve, be it active duty, reserve, or National Guard components. This series is a 101 beginner's guide to military chaplaincy from folks who work and live this call to serve those who serve in uniform. As an Air Force chaplain myself serving in the Air National Guard, these are conversations I've really been excited about. My guest is Chaplain Captain Sarah Kane, active duty Army. Sarah has been on a winding path to get where she is now, and I'm interested to learn about some of the unique opportunities the Army Chaplain Corps has to offer. Uh, Sarah, this is going to be great. I've been really excited about this conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I've been looking forward to it. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, You are an Army chaplain. Let's hear a little bit about uh, about you. Yeah, I am currently a Army CPE, Clinical Pastoral Education resident at Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio. I will be headed to Fort Campbell to do my three-year utilization. So this is specific to Army CPE program where you do your year residency and then follow that with three years of utilization. So I'll be with a field hospital, not a standing hospital as my utilization. And okay. before that, I was in Hawaii with the Army Aviation Unit. Wow. Before that, I was reserved for a couple of years. So been all, you over, all the over the place. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> so let's, I want to put a pin in this about the, about this Army, the uh, actually being a, a resident a CPE resident as part of your army job. So let's get to, th- I want to get to that. I want to put a pin in that and talk about that in a little bit. Before we Absolutely. get to that though, I want to hear, so what got you interested? Uh, what got you interested in, in military chaplaincy? A little, little bit about your journey, how you got here. Yeah, that surprised me when it happened. And <laughs> I was in the California Legislative Ministries Spiritual Activist Leadership Training for Young Adults. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life, but I wanted to make a difference in the world. And through that program, I met David Pyle, and Ah. he was the uh, associate minister in Ventura, working with unhoused folks as part of their social outreach. And that was what brought me to that congregation. Through that conversation, David mentioned being a reserve army chaplain and how much he loved meeting with people that wouldn't necessarily come to the congregation, but the ways that you can engage with people uh, through that ministry. And I didn't think that would be anything I was interested in, but eventually fast forward a few months, I was in seminary reading about God is in the margins. I was like, well, I'm cool with a lot of what people consider the margins. And then David talking about the military came to mind. Mm -hmm. I called him and asked about uh, getting into the reserve and he mentioned the chaplain candidate program. Yeah. That didn't work out for me, but I, uh, I did eventually get into the army. And so 
that's like the briefest summary with yeah. details that I can give. Yeah. There was a, a process, right? Uh, that process to get in and then uh, you got in. So what's it like? Uh, what's it like to be a, an army chaplain? And I know you've served in a, in a number of different uh, locations and contexts. And so I guess starting a little more generally, what's it, what's it like uh, army side? Yeah. So when I started, I was on the reserve and, and it's interesting because you're not required to go to the basic officer course immediately on the reserve side. You have up to three years to complete the training. When I started, I had no idea how to get my CAC card. I didn't know where to go for uniforms or how to even put that together. So I was a bit lost. And thankfully, I had a good religious affairs specialist. I actually mm -hmm. had four under me because there was a chaplain detachment that couldn't take their uh, religious affairs specialist with them on some mission that they were doing. I don't even remember what it was at the time. So I had four religious affairs specialists, which is really unusual. You're lucky mm -hmm. if you have one. Mm -hmm. um, and and just for, had... for folks who don't know what a religious affairs specialist is, this is an enlisted member of the chapel, the chaplain corps. Uh, well, that's how we name it in the Air Force, right? They're, they're part of your chaplain team, but they're enlisted. They're not they're not the chaplain, but they boy, they do a whole lot. And, and because they're enlisted, especially when you're brand new as a chaplain, their job is to help you learn being yes. in the military. Yes. They are the experts in being in the military side. We may be the religious experts, but they are the religious or they're, they're the experts about helping, especially at the beginning, helping you learn what happened. So they helped you get uniforms. They helped you. Yes. I actually had a religious affairs specialist that was the same size as me. So I was able to borrow a uniform on my first <laughs> drill day. Oh, wow. um, so like, this is seriously got your back, got you covered yeah. literally. Right. And yeah. um so that was a little strange, but once I got into the rhythm of it and my uh, religious affairs specialist, their uh, job marker in the army is uh, 56 mics. So sometimes I use those interchangeably. Um, so I had them kind of, they called us the God squad in the reserve and we just mm. check on folks and rotate through. Mm -hmm. When I got to active duty side, I didn't have a religious affairs specialist for a few months. And this was so different. I had gone through the basic officer course, uh, Chibolic, um, before going active. That's required. Chibolic is the that's the that's the acronym for essentially yes. your your officer training and your chaplain uh, and and the chaplain school. They are all in the army rolled into one. They are coordinated for better or worse uh, completely by chaplains. Um, chaplains for better or worse do the personnel, the operations finance, all of that for the chaplain school in the army side. And so we don't do, I know that the other branches go through kind of a general officer course for yeah. not general general, but like the <laughs> overall officer for whatever the branch is, but that's not the case in the army. Right. You just go through chaplain specific training. Um, and it varies depending on who the course manager is. And that means that you can talk to army chaplains that go through at different years and the training wow. will have been different. Interesting. Um, okay. That is a big difference then with the branches yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, it's something that I think could be improved upon. I enjoyed a lot of my instructors, a lot mm -hmm. of what I learned. I was really grateful for the uh, previously infantry uh, people that were in my class because they were able mm. to help me with the army side a little better than the the official schooling did. 
Mm -hmm. I know that that's not the case for everyone. So um, yeah, it's an interesting program to go through. So then jumping into the active side, which I realized I wanted to do because of the details that were supplied through the, uh, the Chibullock course. Um, and then landing in aviation on Oahu, which I didn't even ask for Hawaii. I was surprised I got there. I, I signed in January, 2020. So this also colors oh, how boy. I understand army. Sure. <laughs> Um, hmm. the initial months, I would say probably reflect what people who have been in the army would say is normal army because there wasn't any, uh, COVID restrictions on how we did things, but then immediately it went into COVID restrictions and that changed everything. So my army normal is COVID army, Wow. <laughs> but it's, it's very every day, um, I had an office because you're required to have an office. You can do confidential counseling. I had weekly meetings that I had to go to, to brief command, to listen to what was going on within our, in the army, typically it's a battalion, but because we were attack aviation, it was a squadron. So hmm. within the squadron, um, and I would also go around visit people in the motor pool and the hangars. I had to go to division trainings for chaplains throughout the garrison at Schofield barracks. And I, was because of the garrison chaplains, uh, uh, not quite an order, but kind of guidance to all of us. The um, Every chaplain was required to support a service, a chapel service. And I think this is the same in the Air Force and the Navy, where it's just general Protestant, liturgical, that mm. sort of thing. So I was in, I was supporting a Protestant service that was a merger between gospel and general Protestant. So that was an interesting dynamic in the first place to see which traditions stayed and who uh, kind of took over the chapel space. I was working with a Nazarene, um, some non-denominational Christians, and then there's me, the UU. So it was just a very ragtag mm -hmm. group. Um, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that dynamic. Um, but eventually I was like, you know, I think I need to try and start an interfaith discussion as my contribution to chapel services. And I was yeah. empowered to do so yeah. by the, the chaplain leadership on island. Um, so there's a mix of doing the chaplain duty uh, according to the garrison chaplain's ideas for the garrison and then the commander's religious support program, which is the supporting the you're kind of the first line of mental, emotional, spiritual support for people going through crises. Right. And because of the complete confidentiality, let me know if I'm talking too many things at once. No, 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 this is good. I mean, I've got to, we'll, we'll hit. So there is, though, so when you're talking, so I'll just get a little clarification here. Garrison, mm -hmm. Garrison Chaplain, right? So Garrison Brigade, all that, th those are levels, essentially, part yes. of hierarchy pieces, yes. right? So this is kind of, you know, the someone who has more responsibility, supervisory, and also a larger group of people. So that's what, that's what that is. And that, that so army also has a piece where the chaplain kind of is responsible or that that garrison chaplain is a piece when you're thinking specific like worship services that's yes. at least am I, i'm hearing you make that separation and then you've got the command which is not part of the that that's just part of the regular uh hierarchy part of the rank you know that yes. that commander the chaplains work for that commander too yes. around what you're talking about first line mental emotional spiritual health morale yes. uh any kind of emergencies so just to separate and it's your responsibility as an army chaplain then you're working both of those elements and there's only one official like in order to get promoted 
you have the rating system in the army and you have those evaluations. The only people who have official rating capacity would be the, uh, for me, it was the squadron commander um, and the XO there, but the brigade chaplain who was kind of my supervisor on the chaplain side of things had the ability to shape how that looked because people who are not chaplains don't always understand what chaplains do. And that's appropriate because they have to focus on their type of job. Um, So there's the chaplain kind of not as officially recorded job track influence and requirements. And then there's the official recorded, I work for the commander, I have to help the commander support their people. Right. so it's, it is an interesting tension there, serving both the chaplain corps mission of caring for soldiers, families, and DA civilians, and then the commander's vision of how that looks specific to their units. Interesting. Yeah, that is, that's an interesting tension and, and complexity, right? Which also, uh, I, you know, I would imagine makes the job interesting moving often not the same while ministry generally is that i would say there's a there's a there's a flavor of it then uh there's a flavor of it with with army within the army context that that's a real specific flavor holding those two pieces together and i i have a pretty confrontational personality in a lot of locations (laughs) and i think it really comes out on the chaplain side because i felt that my main mission was to be there for the unit. And so there were a couple of times mm. when that conflicted with requirements for trainings on the mm. chaplain side. Sure. It didn't seem as immediately important to me. So I had to um, make the argument to my brigade chaplain why I wouldn't show up to the division meeting that was required because my squadron commander had needed me for something else important as well, like a leading a discussion on preventing suicide ideation by Mm. finding the discussion on what makes life worth living, right? That's a chaplain area function. And it was more important to me to support my people in that need than to go to whatever the training was at the time. And that that caused some tension, but ultimately it was from a place of respect and I was able to to smooth over anything that was uh, ruffled from that. One of the things I think is really interesting um, about right about being an officer and and the training that we receive as officers in addition to the chaplain piece is the leadership the leadership uh conflict engagement kind of work that we have that is just a requirement because of the nature of the military being very hierarchical and very specific you have got to learn as a, even though chaplains function as a different type of officer we're still officers and we're still part of that system. And so we have to learn how do you communicate in times of conflict when, listen, I think this is really important. You say it's that's important. You actually can make me go over here. And yet, how do we talk about this? So that even that practice experience as uh, you know, as a clergy person, I think the military gives some really interesting opportunities to learn communication, conflict engagement. I- So the interesting thing for me, and this connects back to the residency topic, we, during the last unit of CPE, we focused on chaplain as leader. And because of the requirements of the ministerial fellowship committee, I actually had better leadership training on the civilian side than the official army training. And it was 
amazing to see how they connect to each other. And I credit my time working through the UU process to why I'm able to have, a, I wasn't a perfectly self-differentiated person, but have more of that differentiation and understand like, okay, this is triangulation. And I owe this a lot to also the military chaplain colleagues who guided me to looking at things like a failure of nerve, which I don't super love the book now, but at the time it was a really good source for how to look at dynamics and leadership and systems. And so the UU process actually has made me a better army chaplain. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the pieces that I think is, is fascinating to the, um, an assumption that, being Unitarian Universalist, being progressive theologically, you know, uh, even even politically and personality-wise, that somehow there is an inherent disconnect or conflict with the military. And there's actually some really amazing synergy. And that conversation has happened across all the branches and everything we've had. There's some really amazing, interesting synergy and in how they feed each other. Yeah. Not just one way. And the, even beyond the leadership perspective, there's a new field manual uh, from the Army side, uh, FM 722, and Chapter 10 is specifically about spiritual fitness, and they mm. are very intentional to uh, use the word spirituality rather than religiosity or anything like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. That's great. Chaos right now. Um, and it includes language that allows room for atheist folks and ag agnostic folks and anyone that doesn't connect with the idea of specifically a God or gods mm. in their life mm. to connect with the idea of spirituality. And that is another thing that the Unitarian Universalist process really allows yeah. me to cultivate. Yeah, absolutely. So with all the different types of, right, as, as the, the army has such a, it's, well, it's the large, right. It's the largest branch of the military. So mm -hmm. it has an incredibly wide variety of, places and ways that you could serve then as a chaplain uh anything from you know you could wind up with special forces you could wind up with like you mentioned infantry you could wind up uh with medical you could there's just logistics there's so it's it just it's a huge organization and yes. so there's so many different ways then that that you're you're ministry then can be used reflected the way that you know how you are kind of um in, engaged that changes based on the context so one of the ways though that you that you're talking about right now that i would imagine most people would have no idea is the ability to actually as part of your job go and do a cpe residency so let's hear a little bit about that yes so going into the army i already had five units of CPE because hmm. instead of doing a congregational internship, I went for the residency. Mm -hmm. um, and this was again on recommendation of military chaplain colleagues that if I could get residency, that would be more useful than classroom time discussing pastoral care. And they were right. right. Um, so I wasn't sure if I would want to do another residency, but speaking to uh, the senior captain colleague chaplains that I had in my uh, brigade, who had gone through the army CPE residency, they also mentioned that you could do a doctorate of ministry simultaneous. And that appealed to me because I already liked learning about things. And I figured why not add some letters yeah. to the end of my name to prove that I was learning about things. Um, 
So it is a, and, have, a and have that not only get paid to do it, but yes. have, have, have the army pay for it. Yes. Yeah. So I make in the residency that I did civilian side in Los Angeles, I was making less than $30,000 a year, but I did have health insurance mm-hmm. <laughs> on the army side and making whatever is appropriate for my time in rank, all and of rank. that. Right. And I have my housing allowance and all of yeah. the support so it makes it much more sustainable monetarily. Well, I, yeah, let's just say that is well, that is well above $30,000 a year plus yes. health insurance, which is what I made in New York City when I did my residency several years before. Exactly. Yeah, same. And it's, same, it's pretty a little much ridiculous yeah. <laughs> to, have to require people doing these because doing a residency in the army setting, it is still in hospitals we go to the army medical centers i'm because we have so many army residents this year um because there were two educator candidates at this location Mm. we have 12 residents which is huge so we broke into two groups of six which is still fairly large yeah um they're experimenting at this location doing things like going to the medical uh, enlisted training and then the officer training and going out into different areas. So it's not just hospital specific for clinical hours. I'm also doing uh, part of my residency at the civilian trauma one center in town. So I'm working with civilians at the same time and they've got connections to people who were in the army and they also yeah. have the doctor residents going through that hospital as well, just to oh, make wow. sure well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen two different hospital systems in this. Um, and it's it's really good training. And I think getting to be able to be in the, the trauma area prepares me more for the potential of being in conflict areas or responding to disasters or sure. crises in a way that I didn't have in my community hospital on the civilian side. Sure. Sure. So now at, when you go through this, this CP residency piece, is that then going to set you up for being uh, a chaplain that's going to be connected then to the medical units? Or can anybody go through go through this program and wind up being assigned to any number of different uh, environments? This is an excellent question. So they have on the Army side an opportunity to get a skill identifier. So the job in the the army is coded as uh, 56 alpha. If you go through your residency and you get all the credit and everything, uh, you get the seven Romeo skill identifier that says you have gone through specifically chaplain residency and you're capable of serving in hospitals, prisons. A lot of special forces are interested in people with this training, but it's not required. Um, So it's branching out and uh, internal investigation CID that's also they seek out the seven Romeo skill identifier because it is a specialized, more developed uh, a chaplain with these specific skills. Interesting. And it does just give you a, a little bit more room in the army for where you can hmm. go. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, and obviously you, this was a choice that you made. This wasn't, you wanted to, you, you uh, requested and, and applied to get into this track. It was not just assigned to you. This was something you were interested Correct. in. You have to apply. Um, and anyone that's done any CPE knows that the application for that is extensive. And it's a little bit different on the Army side. You do have to do the ACPE brief summary of all the important experiences of your life in two pages 
single space. But that's secondary to the memo that you send up to the army saying that you're interested in why you have to interview with someone who's already a senior chaplain clinician so they can say, yes, this person would be a good fit for CPE and here's what I see in them. And it is competitive. There are spaces for reserve as well, but that's only if active duty haven't filled up the slots. I'm not sure how they uh, manage all of that. Um, but it is something you apply for, and then you have to be interviewed by not only that senior clinician, but the educators as well. So there's all of this process that's in there. Interesting. So this piece then that you're talking about, CPE, is a really interesting additional, again, while you are serving, this is part of your job, is to be a resident. I know there's another track that, I don't know if they call them tracks within the Army, but there's another uh, specialty, uh, and if I'm using my terminology a little bit wrong, correct me, uh, around becoming, is it called a family life chaplain? Yes. So there are a couple of different options for advanced civilian education, um, advanced training in the Army Chaplain Corps. And family life chaplains are chaplains that apply again to a program. Right now, I believe uh, Fort Hood just changed their name to Fort Cavazas, I believe. There's a family life training center up there that the, the students go through an 18-month program through Baylor. I believe. So they're in the civilian program, again, getting a master's of uh, marriage and family therapy oh, okay. and being paid by the army to do that as well. And that then opens up the ability to support more on the behavioral health side with the mm. chaplain influence right. and be certified as a therapist afterwards. Right. So they can, they actually go through that. They, so they go to a uh, university, they, they get them, like you said, master's in marriage and family therapy, get that and then apply those tools, the licensure, everything on a on, in the military for the army, working yes. in more those more advanced needs, the advanced counseling that where where uh, a clinician is needed, in terms of that's hence the title, right? Family family life uh, chaplain, chaplain mm -hmm. right? So uh, and and that training that they get then also is something that well you keep your you keep your um, your licensure up, you keep your, uh, keep doing your work when you retire. You've also then here, here's a potential next career, right? When you retire and yes. you can keep, keep doing that work besides the fact that, like you said, doing the behavioral health piece with that, that chaplain, that spiritual care, um, lens as well is a really powerful combination. Yes, absolutely. It allows more room to talk about a holistic approach, um, because of both pieces of training. Interesting. Yeah. The, 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 the career trajectory of that is really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that any of that existed until I, I knew somebody that had gone through it. So that's really fascinating. So uh, now you're, how many years in are you at this point? I am, it's a little wonky to calculate because of the reserve time, but I believe I have credit for four years of active service with everything okay. kind of calculated. Okay. So, so you're still in the, you're not getting ready for t retirement yet here. You're, uh, you're in the early no. stages, right? <laughs> so even that, right. So, so early in then four years in, uh, plus your, your reserve and, and whatnot, are there any things that you like, what do you wish you had known? Is there something that you had wished you had known when you started that would have helped you? Or what are you really glad you knew at the beginning that's really helping you now? I absolutely am so grateful for the support of the military chaplain chapter through the UUMA. Um, 
because Mm -hmm. even when I was applying for the candidacy program, I was getting mentorship. I actually haven't been to any of the trainings since becoming an active duty chaplain because of various circumstances. Other than we had the, and COVID. the virtual one. Yeah. Well, the COVID, <laughs> Hello, COVID was a big yeah. thing. We did do the virtual that I was able to pop into, but right. because of this mentorship, and I would urge people who are interested to connect with currently serving and or recently retired military chaplains, yeah. because then you get the perspective, um, understanding systems, looking at self-differentiation, addiction, mm. um, trauma and moral injury. I had Mm. such amazing training. I think it was the first training that I went to with the UU military chaplains where we had Rita Nakashima Brock do, Mm -hmm. or is she just Rita Brock now? Um, She did the training on on, uh, moral injury. And I just did a week long class on moral injury with uh, a Navy chaplain who got his doctorate through the GTU. So he knows Dr. Latini who worked Mm -hmm. with Rita Brock on that book. Mm -hmm. And so much of that training applied to this doctoral course that mm. I was just honing some skills rather than learning things new. Wow. Um, so it, it's paying attention to those things and being versed in pluralism and understanding a bit of that dynamic. Yeah. There's, it, it can also be frustrating to know these things going in because you will have to take classes on them even if you're not in the advanced programs like the doctorate of ministry or family life, there, there are trainings that are required through the army. And uh, if you do combat medical ministry, you'll learn about moral injury as well. Um, but just knowing that going in gives such a, a good skill set and a step ahead of what other folks who didn't know those things have. Yeah. So any of the, so I heard a couple of things. Number one, there's a wide, the, the breadth, even if you don't have, you know, deep, deep, long, you know, years worth of skills within that, at least having a breadth of knowledge around, around uh, certainly trauma response, uh, crisis intervention, moral injury, navigating pluralism. Those are some of those pieces that I heard. I also really heard the importance of, of colleagues, uh, wherever you are and colleagues that are ahead of you in the process and shoulder to shoulder, I would imagine as well, right? The, The groups that are coming up, but connecting and having that even just even before as you're as you're preparing as you're considering where those networks are uh to be able to also then you know engage them later i absolutely would not have made it through my 5 years of reapplying through seminary and my mm-hmm. residency and everything without the support of colleagues i would have just said you know what civilian ministry is where i actually need to be since the military is so hard to get into but through the discernment, I had support with the mentorship and friendship and collegiality. It was the motivating factor to keep trying when I didn't feel like it would work out. Wow. And here you are. Here you are yeah. moving, moving, moving rapidly, right? It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but wow, all of a sudden. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, I am so amazed every day. Uh, I mean, there's frustrations like with any job, but when I get to work with my soldiers or work with if it's the the nurses on the floor I'm working with airmen a lot in the Brook Army Medical Center since it's mm-hmm. a dual commander um the, the joint base I mean uh so it's just amazing to be able to have those conversations with people that I wouldn't have if I didn't have this job yeah and it's just the the moments when I hear that the paperwork I submitted helped someone be able to support their family better, that's mm-hmm. huge. 
um, being able to do marriages for folks that couldn't find a, someone else to do them in the army system. Like I get to celebrate right. with people and that's incredible. Um, it's just, that's one of, that's one of the yeah. things that we haven't talked about so much with the other, in the other interviews so far actually is, and, and you just brought this up. One of the things that military chaplains do, and it's both active duty and it's civilian side, although, or, or um, uh, garden reserve side, although they look different, but you just brought something up really important around the connections and the support, not just of the military member, but also of the families. Yes. That that's part of your job too. That's part of your role. That's part of your responsibility is also supporting and being part of that bigger, uh, those bigger family units. Yes. Um, I have offered support to family members probably less frequently just because I don't see them every day. Like I do with my soldiers, but the, I I've had family members come and talk to me in my office or meet up at events and, it's just sharing in that I had, they weren't even on Schofield, but when I was doing the interfaith, very UU services and small group discussions afterwards, there was the wife and child of a colonel driving up from Pearl Harbor area, which is about an hour in traffic mm-hmm. to come to the service because they had a transgender teen that wanted to be part of a church service. And I was offering explicitly welcoming space and Mm -hmm. allowed people to explore who they are spiritually and not have that fear of judgment. And it was just amazing for that dedication for that family because the traffic is no joke because there's only the one freeway that gets you there on Island and to be able to see them every week and just kind of support each other was really cool. Really powerful. That's really powerful. I was going to ask, what do you like about your job? But I think I've just heard all those things. I think I've just heard so much of what you like about your job. (laughs) Yeah, I I get really emotional uh, when I think about I'm going to cry right now. Um, (laughs) But I I had a a wonderful visit with a retired uh, Army NCO in the the hospital. And Mm. he was having a rough night. I was on call. And at the end, he said, if you go and meet your soldiers the way you met me you have nothing to worry about and i wow like how affirming is that <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's one of the things i think uh, uh, this ministry right there it it can be so hard it can be and there are times it's incredibly disheartening there are times <laughs> that it is incredibly oh you just get at the end of the day and oh do i want to get this uniform off and you're also with people at the times that it can matter most, that it can yeah. matter most. And the, and it's not about us. It's about no. those moments where things are working through us um, to be able to, to ha- really have the privilege in the, in the sense of that word, that it is an honor and it is not something that everyone gets to do to be able to be present um, at real pivotal times in people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And active duty, I think in particular, it's, it's a little different on the, on the, certainly on the guard side is a lot of, of young adult ministry, right? It's, it's not exclusively young adult, but definitely, uh, that the, the, a huge age group (laughs) would be more what we would consider young adults. Yes. Uh, we definitely have, I, I talked to more 19 to 23 year olds, I think 
in my two and a half years on Oahu than my three years in congregations. Right. Um, and I was a campus minister for a while, but it was a small campus ministry group. And yeah, I just, I meet every soldier possible when they're in processing and have a real conversation about the things that matter to them and what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible to help people through that, that phase of life that is so impactful. It's right. So many things happen and shift and change during that period. And so, yeah, to have to have a chaplain there that's going to show up for them where they are and support them regardless of all kinds of differences that can come up is really can be a game changer for folks and a life changer then, too. Wow. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Wow. Well, uh, yeah, I that's you know what that's probably a good place to wrap i thank you this has been really really wonderful to be able to to talk a little more deeply about about this uh about this not just a profession right this vocation this calling right your ministry thank you so much thank you thank you for listening Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry is a production of Meadville Lombard Theological School. Theme music is Destination by Justhea. This episode is produced by Jules Taylor, and as always, a special thank you to Tomo Hillbow.